When Jesus stood in the presence of the governor, now we're, uh, now the governor, by the way, his name, you say it every time you say the creed? Pontius Pilate. Yeah. When G- I, st- I asked the catechism kids last week, who was governor of Judea when Jesus was crucified? You know what they all said? They said Caesar Augustus. They're both Romans, you know. It's like, okay. I don't expect all of you to know who Virgil Carter was, but, you know. A, a great 1970s Cincinnati Bengal quarterback, but why would you know that? You know, we don't mention him in the creed. You know, so. What did I just say out loud? Okay. When Jesus stood in the presence of the governor, the governor asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, it is as you say. When he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then Pilate said to him, don't you hear him how many things they're testifying against you? But he did not answer him, not even one word, so that the governor was very surprised. Notice here in verse 11, Jesus basically does this one thing, right? He identifies himself. That's all he does. What do they say in war movies when the POWs get caught? Name, rank, and serial number, right? And what's the joke on Hogan's Heroes? LeBeau, the Frenchman, can never remember his serial number. I don't know if when's the last time you watched Hogan's Heroes. You should watch Hogan's Heroes. It's on tonight. Uh, tonight, two episodes tonight at eight. And uh, but LeBeau can never remember his serial number. It's a pretty funny thing. But uh, so Jesus identifies himself. But then he will not say anything to anybody else. He won't answer. And I have a passage about that coming up a little bit later. This, I, I want to point out, this is probably one of my favorite paintings of a biblical scene. One of the reasons is you can see everything. So many paintings are so dark and you can't see anything. And here you can, this is Pilate leaning over the railing to the crowd you know, point, obviously gesturing to Jesus. Jesus has not yet been whipped. You know the moment is this moment. Jesus or Barabbas, right? And uh, do you see that the, um, there's a guy behind Jesus holding a, 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 a lance? What does that remind you of? It's not the same guy, but what does it call to mind? That Jesus will be stabbed by a lance on the cross, finally. That kind of a very thing. Who is the woman in the, in the right-hand corner? It's Claudia, his wife, yeah. Um, and, I, I, and notice which way the, she's facing. Good painting, right? She's facing away because of what's about to happen. And I want to point out one more thing in this bit of artwork is that, uh, first of all, that, that you can see the temple. That's that gigantic uh, white, you know, and everything like that and pillars. But... Uh, do you see the man with a beard between Pilate and his wife? Yeah. There's no record of, 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 of that kind of a guy, but he's in almost every painting, uh, carving, rendi- rendering of a sketch or whatever, woodcut of Pilate, that guy. Uh, he's the guy who you will see, for example, pouring the water into the bowl when Pilate washes his hands. 
That's that, I don't know who he, it, there's no record or anything or explanation of who he is, but he's always there. He's like Pilate's servant, whoever that guy is. Kind of a cool little, oh, that guy. It's just like when you see a, a painting of, was it, um, never start a sentence if you don't know the ending of the sentence. Um, I think it's Jerome, St. Jerome. There's always a skull in the painting with him because he considered his own mortality all the time, like he kept it with him. Uh, that kind of a thing. Uh, anyway, that guy's in these things. So at that time of the festival, the governor had a custom to release to the crowd any one prisoner they wanted. Pretty good custom for a Roman governor because every governor before Pilate had been deposed, and Pilate was too. Um, they all got recalled because they got into trouble. The people rose up and did something, and the guy got fired. Except in, if you're in Rome, getting fired is a little bit like being in Germany in the 40s and getting fired. You know, it's not good. Um, Pilate, however, when he was fired, finally, um, was not executed. I think he was deport deported. Did I talk about that last week? He went probably to Lake Lucerne. Yeah, okay, uh, good. I'll just leave it like that. But now he, he invokes this thing. He, Pilate, I believe, does not want to get things stirred up too much. He's afraid if he gives in to these loudmouths, somebody else is going to be even wilder about Jesus dying. So he wants to give him an out. Like, you guys, it's, let's calm down. I'll release a prisoner. Maybe a good idea. But at that time, they were holding a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. So did we have to be told the name of Barabbas here? I don't think we had to have the name. It could have been there was a notorious prisoner or a certain prisoner or a notorious murderer or whatever it was. But we're told his name. I'm going to see how much Aramaic you guys know. So Abba means father. And Bar is the same as Hebrew Ben, son. This guy's name means son of the father. Bar Abbas. So ironically, by including his name, I think that the, the gospel authors, they're not saying that this represents something, but they're saying, oh, isn't that interesting? The son of the father, lowercase s, got released. But the son of the father, uppercase s got condemned so that's as far as i'll go with that i don't want to read too much into that but the fact that we have barabbas's name is a, at least a curiosity in in a in a in a in a an account it's just brimming with irony and and agony and everything else so when they were assembled pilate said to them which one do you want me to release to you barabbas by the way, some gospel, some manuscripts I know say Jesus Barabbas. I don't know that that was his first name. That might be a mistake in a manuscript, but sometimes translations will have Jesus Barabbas. Do you have an NIV out, Marsha? Or, or do you, Naoko? What does it say for chapter 27, verse 17? There, 
See, so sometimes it slips into the translation even. I have the EHV up here, and the, the, the decision of the translator was probably not part of the, of, the, of the original text, but you have the question there. It doesn't make any difference. Jesus is just Joshua, you know, in, in uh, Joshua Hebrew, Jesus is Greek, but um, so no similarity necessarily there. Or, but uh, on the other hand, if you're going to extend the similarity, Jesus who was son of the father, Jesus who is son of the father, you, you, wow, you could go way too far with that, couldn't you? So be careful. Um, but Jesus who was called Christ, for Pilate knew that they had handed Jesus over to him because of envy. But, verse 19, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, Pilate's wife sent him a message. The paintings always have her in the frame, but sends him a message instead. Have nothing to do with that righteous man, she said, since I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. There's a lot there. What do you think this woman might have suffered in a dream? Yeah, yeah. Oh, very serious. And I'm just wondering, what, what might she have suffered in the dream? I mean, is it worry, terror, apprehension? Are we talking about words like that? Or something that I'm overlooking? But I'm, I'm thinking things like fear. Real fear. We, we have got to not do anything to this guy. Because of whatever the... Can you imagine what the dream would have been like? Why is there no apocryphal book called Claudia's Dream? You know, uh, or maybe there is a, oh, I wonder if there is a, 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 a medieval uh, play. Those, they used to do all those plays about things in, in medieval times. When, yeah, but um, I, I don't know. Um, but anyway, she says, have nothing to do with him. And so her name is Claudia Porcla, or, or Procla, I should say. Um, she is said to later to have become a Christian. I think I've mentioned that. Sparrow, uh, uh, God, Sparrow. God speaks many times to unbelievers in the Old Testament through dreams. By mispronouncing the word Sparrow, I've given you a hint as to one of them. Who was? Pharaoh. Sorry about that. Uh... Uh, that was the Pharaoh at the time of Joseph. He had dreams about cows and whatnot. Um, we actually read about that in our staff meeting today in Genesis 41. Uh, there is uh, uh, later on, uh, I'm sorry, much, much earlier, I should say, Abraham is trying to play the she's not my wife, she's my sister game with a king named Abimelech, a Philistine king. Um, and he has a dream warning him, um, do not touch that woman. Um, uh, uh, David, come in. Thank you for the cookies and the water and everything else. God bless you. Oh, she did bring them. She did bring them. Yeah. Um, another uh, another uh, pagan who had a dream from God uh, is Nebuchadnezzar who has given a dream of the statue and so forth. And then Daniel has to come and um, translate the dream from Nebuchadnezzar is delightfully um, unreasonable about that dream. 
Not only does he want his magicians to tell him what the dream means, but he insists that he's going to kill them all if they can't at least tell him what the dream was. Can you imagine? You've decided to go into this line of work because it's so easy. Say anything and be right and get fed. And then the, then the king turns on you and says, I had a dream. Tell me what it was or you're dead. I mean, I'd be looking for an airplane or a fast car or a <laughs> helicopter or something like that. A friendly sparrow. But... Uh, and then, of course, Daniel says, oh, yeah, got it, no problem. Be nice to these guys, O king, Daniel says. No wonder they met him, made him the leader of the Magi. Um, those dreams, by the way, to unbelievers, uh, those dreams, two things is in particular, and maybe the list could be longer, but they point to the true God. And they expose either a sin or the dire need in the person's life for the true God in order to make room for the approaching gospel. So when Pharaoh um, has the dream of the, of, the, of, the, of the cows and the grain, it's because of the need that's about to show up and also to point out through the translator, the interpreter, who the true representative of God will be, Joseph. And that Pharaoh, by the way, gets it right. How unlike the Pharaoh of the Exodus is he? So completely different. Um, and then Abimelech finds out what he did wrong. You know, he's just out there girl snatching. And then, and by the way, what does God do? I was talking to somebody about this privately today. What does God do in all of Philistia? Abraham had been promised a child from God. And what does God do when, when Sarah gets taken into a harem? He closes up not just Sarah's womb, but every womb and the king finds out about that oh that's what went on so then when when uh, when she's released then god opens the wombs and they're able to have children again is that a punishment on those women no what's god doing he's making sure that we all understand that the savior's line comes from abraham and not from abimelech king of the philistines right we would, we would wonder otherwise. Sometimes God does things just so that we don't wonder. The detail we're going to talk about in three weeks, what unique thing was there about Jesus' tomb that makes us understand that he could only have been the person to rise from the dead from that tomb? No, not that. Not that either. It was new. There's nobody else buried there. Who else could rise from that grave? Nobody. Only Jesus. When they throw bones into Elijah's grave, somebody springs to life. Do you know that story in 2 Kings? They're being chased by the Arameans. They're burying a guy, and then the Arameans show up, coming up over the hill. So they, oh, here's Elijah's tomb. They roll open the stone, throw the guy in there, and what happens to the guy? Ta-da! He comes to life. Can you imagine rising from the dead only to turn around and see the bad guys running at you with swords drawn? <laughs> What's the point? Um, 
I'm sorry. I've never preached on that text, and I would hope to leave the comedy out. But I don't know if I... I might not be strong enough. I might not be a good enough pastor to do that. I, sh- I got to stick away from that story. The chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to have Jesus put to death. The governor asked them, which of the two do you want me to release to you? We're still not there yet. Barabbas, they said. Pilate said to them, then what should I do with Jesus who is called Christ? And they all said to him, crucify him. That the word is even more powerful in Hebrew because um, stauros is the Greek word for, for cross. And staurazo is the word for, is the verb. So crossify him, crossify him. Um, the governor said, why? What has he done? How does the hymn put it? Oh, dearest Jesus, what law hast thou broke? Right? That's, we're really kind of quoting Pilate there. Um, but they kept shouting even louder, crucify him, crucify him. Agree or disagree? Let's see, I was taught in school how to phrase these. Agree or disagree? We can say and it's okay to say the same people who said Hosanna on Palm Sunday are the very same people who said crucify on Friday. Can we say that or not? I think we should be careful to say that. I think we should be more careful than we are. In fact, I was taught at the seminary in homiletics class, one of the only things I was ever told never to say is that sentence. Don't say the very same people who said Hosanna are the very same people who said crucify. And uh, I think the reason that I was taught not to say that is because there was a time when a lot of pulpits spoke those words in our fellowship at one time, uh, decades ago. And, I, and it's going too far. To, that The text doesn't say that. We shouldn't say that. Were, would all of those children with their palm branches that Jesus got scolded about from the chief priests and the Pharisees you know, what the, tell these children to, to, to shut up. And Jesus says, if the children won't say it, the stones will cry out. They weren't saying crucify him. You know, we, we shouldn't judge that. So we should be careful. We should be careful saying that. Um, then again, we shouldn't stand up in a sermon and say, Pastor Smith said you're not supposed to say that. <laughs> Pastor Sharp, you know, or, or, or whatever. You know, you don't have to do that either, but all right. Ah, do you see the guy on the right pouring the water for holding the the pan for Pilate there? That's that servant again who shows up. Um, Let me ask you, this is a carving, okay? It's not stone. I believe it is uh, iron 
or bronze. How big do you think this thing might happen to be? It is the size of a Texas belt buckle. Okay? Now, I don't mean a Minnesota belt buckle. I mean a Texas belt buckle, but it's about yay big. That, isn't that amazing detail on this thing? It's just gorgeous, and it's kind of shaped in a, in a, in a, in a quadrifoil, kind of a cruciform. I've, I've kind of cut it off, but it's, it's small, but very, very beautifully detailed. When Pilate saw that he was accomplishing nothing and that instead it was turning into a riot, he took water, washed his hands in front of the crowd, and said, I am innocent of this righteous man's blood. It is your responsibility. I think it's significant that Pilate uses his wife's word. That righteous man. Um, and is your, So Pilate wants to remove the responsibility from himself. This, of course, is where we get the expression, I wash my hands of the whole situation or whatever. Um, and then all the people answered, let his blood be on us and on our children. So, um, I'm, I'm, I'm just speechless by that, by the, these people who say that. Let his blood be on us. And they, I don't think that they mean let his righteous blood cover our sins. They mean let the responsibility be on us. We had kind of a discussion about that in the morning group. I, I'm, I'm actually positive that that's not what it means. Um, but if you change it, let his blood like cover us or something, you could get away, but not as, it's, not as the text reads here. They're taking responsibility on themselves. Also, uh, I'm not sure how... Uh, I don't know, that the people in that crowd are just, I mean, with respect, because I'm no, you know, um, Hollywood star myself, but those are not good-looking people. <laughs> you know, some of them almost look like they're already condemned and suffering and, you know, and agonizing. If we added flames to the side of that thing, I don't know if I can get Jarrett Milkey, our intern, to do that in the video of this class. Like, you put flames in there for us and do it. But, um, but. Uh, Just, just back here, when they all said crucify. That's the beginning of, no, that's the beginning of it. Yeah. They were being stirred up. John tells us in his account, they were being stirred up by the chief priests and the, and the elders. You can, you can almost see in your mind's eye the priests like walking around in the crowd saying things. You know, getting, one person by himself or herself, can be brilliant, reasonable, um, forthcoming, a genius. But you get people together in a crowd 
and they all become stupid and no one takes responsibility for what they're doing. The crowd becomes a mob and they just lose it. And, and but some of them can be accused of being ringleaders, but they've all just been stirred up by somebody. Who uh, uh, and 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 if someone in the crowd does rebel against the crowd, they have effectively detached themselves from the crowd. They're not going to do anything, you know. Hey, what are you doing? That's the guy who gets run over by the crowd, trampled by the crowd. Is the guy who has second thoughts. Either either he gets out of it or he's going to get blown over. But you know, the only I mean, oh sure, Matt Dillon could calm a crowd down. He'd show up in his yellow vest and his pink shirt, you know, without even drawing his six-shooter. He would just, friends, and they would listen. But, sorry, watched a lot of Westerns lately. No, Gunsmoke's at noon. Hogan's Heroes is at eight. Me TV. Just saying. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, 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 in respect to uh, a class, I would like to keep PG, PG-13. The next slide has a hideous photograph. Um, then he released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Um, we had them in my hometown. I think there are some around New Ulm as well. Uh, uh, um, a, uh, a, like a, a cement pillar for a, a hitching post, usually with an iron ring on the on the top, we had a, we had a bunch of them in Poinette, near the near the old barber shop. You could hitch up your horse, and people did. And that's because I lived 150 years ago. And uh, uh, if you imagine that with the iron ring on the bottom instead of on the top, that's a rostrum, and they would lay the guy to be whipped over the top of it and his hands chained or manacled or tied to the bottom so that the guy who was going to do the whipping, who did we have you two uh, chopping off the head last week with the sword, right, the, the ear? Um, so it's the, same, it's the same stroke for the whip. Instead of sideways, which is an uncertain whip, whipping, um, it, was over the, it was over the head. You can't miss, right? Over the head, over the head, and it would open up and... Uh, this, um, if you haven't heard of Matthew Brady, he is the great photographer of the American Civil War, took all kinds of photographs, including this man whose name was Peter. Um, and uh, opened up, the, his back had been, this is an 1863 photograph of this man who had been severely punished by his owner um, in this. And I believe he was from, was way far south, um, Mississippi, Louisiana, maybe. It's 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 deep, deep, deep in the southwest, south. Um, you know, almost over to Texas, and uh, and look at his face, though. He's got a calm serenity. You know, almost an I don't care if you do it again, kind of a kind of an expression there. But this is what happened to me. Um, but. Altogether trustworthy because I trust every person who has curly hair <laughs> and a beard. And uh, yeah, but terrible. And uh, but look at how, I mean, no medical, uh, no modern medical device was used to help heal 
those terrible wounds. That's a guy who had uh, either nothing or cold water or maybe, maybe vinegar to heal that. Vinegar would be, actually be excellent. It would calm down the, uh, the um, uh, what am I thinking of? The, the inflammation and stuff um, and uh, cool down the flesh and so forth, the infection. Also, vinegar contains enough alcohol to, to kill germs after a few minutes and, and whatever. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium. That's a building that was attached to the temple grounds where, 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 where this all happened. That's also where Pilate's uh, uh, pavement was and so forth. Gathered the whole cohort of soldiers around him. These soldiers all look like grown men. They all look like they're my age or a little bit younger. But they were probably all in their 20s or early 30s, all those Roman soldiers. What do you do when you get a bunch of soldiers gathered around somebody who's a condemned criminal? What happened at uh, Guantanamo? We're supposed to mistreat this guy. Let's mistreat this guy, right? So that's what the soldiers did. They stripped him, put a scarlet robe on him, twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head. The crown of thorns plant uh, grows all over the Middle East. It's just a vine that looks an awful lot like a stick with thorns every three or four inches. And the thorns are three or four inches, or one or two or three inches long. So you can imagine a, the, 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 the sergeant, the centurion, grabbing it, kind of pulling it down, takes out his sword and just cuts off a bit and they wrap it around his head and push it in, put a staff in his right hand, knelt in front of him, mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Spit on him. Took the staff and hit it repeatedly on the head. If there were no crown of thorns, this would be a painful thing. But with the crown of thorns, it must have been just agony. I wonder how many times Jesus almost fainted or did faint in this, in this process. Anybody here ever faint? I did it once as a missionary. I fell, I'm overworking and suddenly was just on the floor of our bathroom. Just went out once. Not, not a fun thing to have happen. Just lose it, your head, you just lose everything. Just goes and down you go. You okay now, David? Oh, uh, going, okay. Going in the lunchroom and everybody backed up and let me fall right on the floor. Tell you. <laughs> my, my cousin Melanie fainted at her confirmation service. She fell forward, broke her tooth. 13-year-old girl who now needs a permanent, you know, right in front. Yeah. You know what she does now? She's a race car driver. <laughs> my cousin Melanie. Yeah, I'm proud of her. Um, after they had mocked him, they took off the robe, put on his own clothes. Then they led him away to crucify him. Um, we're not to the crucifixion yet, believe it or not. This is just, they led him away to be crucified, really. Um, we're not even to him being nailed up yet. God bless you tonight. Thanks for letting me do this. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church. New Wall, Minnesota.